when I was a kid, I could see things. Things humans aren't supposed to see. You save me before you can do it again, right? I've been watching you for a long time. It's only in the face of horror that you truly find your nobler self. Look, you want to torture me, spank me, lick me, do it. But if this poetry shit continues, just shoot me now, please. Welcome to Now Playing's DC Heroes Retrospective Series. This might take me a really long time. Continuing our look at movies based on DC Comics characters, Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be reviewing the film adaptations of Tank Girl. My, my. She'll be fun to break. Constantine. I know the circles you travel in. They call demonology, exorcisms. And Jonah Hex. Mark my words, gentlemen. The very fate of our nation may rest on the shoulders of Jonah Hex. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I need to see what she saw. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them, they see you. Close your eyes. Why? See yourself. Today we're discussing Jonah Hex. Starring Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Megan Fox, Michael Fassbender, Will Arnett, and directed by Jimmy Hayward. Poor Jimmy. I'm Arnie, co-host and now playing, and this here's my story. Stuart in LA. And this is the host with a half-baked pie hole, Jacob. I don't want to know which vacuum attachments you're putting in the pie hole. And we are back with week three of our retrospective, looking at the heroes who weren't good enough for a sequel. Hard to imagine, really, why a charred cowboy, a punk rock, sci-fi riot girl, and a demonologist are not suitable for their own franchises. What is this series? In retrospect, I don't get it. And now that we've reached Jonah Hex, I really don't get it. Why? Who? What? Jacob, why would anyone think this was something that summer movie audiences would be clamoring for in 2010? What is Jonah Hex, and why did they make a movie? I can tell you who Jonah Hex is. I can't tell you why they made this movie. He came around, I think, 1972 All-Star Western, and it is a Western comic, and he was this scarred cowboy. He doesn't have magic powers, as we'll get into. He was a bounty hunter. It was an Old West bounty hunter comic. It had a pretty decent following. It lasted around 90 issues. Okay, so at the tail end of Gunsmoke and when Westerns really were in vogue. Okay, that makes more sense. You know, they reboot his series every few years because it never sells strong, but it sells enough. There's an all-star Western series currently going on. This doesn't feel that odd to me, Stuart. I've never read a Jonah Hex comic. I never got into DC Comics. But to me, this is Ghost Rider, only instead of a flaming skull, it's a big scar. It's a guy who's got one foot in the spirit world, one foot in this world, and he's riding through the West and having to right wrongs. This feels very much along the lines of the grittier 70s comics that we reviewed so many movies from. Yes, you know those comics. I know the movies. 
Why would you make Ghost Rider? Yes, I could ask these same questions and think I did when we covered that one early last year. But no, we're talking about DC now, and this kind of feels like the DC version of Ghost Rider. You're on to something there, Arnie. They both came out in the 70s. I think this came out a little bit earlier. But again, this character set in the Old West, Ghost Rider, more modern times. In the comics, not a supernatural character, just a bounty hunter. I think when Hollywood does a big Western, they feel like they need to sci-fi it up. Look whenever they do these blockbuster things. They did it with Cowboy and Aliens. You know, let's stick in UFOs and lasers and all of that. Wild Wild West. It wasn't enough to do like a James Bond in the Wild West. We had to have a giant robotic spider. I mean, I really feel like Hollywood goes really big when they get these Western properties here. And that fact that we have these sci-fi weapons in this movie, the fact that he communes with the death, there's a lot of different different tonal shifts. To know it was originally just a straight-up bounty hunter western makes a lot more sense to me now, because I feel like at its root, this movie would be a lot better if it stayed focused on that. Perhaps it's trying to win over moviegoers like Arnie, who you've been on record of hating westerns. I am, but I will say I was kind of hopeful going into Jonah Hex. I don't know why Megan Fox is in it, but silly me. I'm like Josh Brolin in a Western from 2010. I've seen one of those and loved it. So let's have another. Oh, God. You know, I did end up seeing this. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it later when it came out on DVD rented it and the one thing that got me Stuart, you said wild wild west not a great movie but they kind of had that steampunk feel when i saw the trailers you see machine guns on horses i said okay it's not gonna be good but maybe you know it's some junky entertainment with some over-the-top ideas we'll talk about what ideas are in here but that was my initial thought process for even bothering to check this out The only temptation for me was this was a notorious bomb. It didn't just do badly at the box office. It barely cleared $10 million in its entire run in America. I mean, 4th of July weekend, and it just nosedived. And I do have an attraction for big, big epic failures. And so anytime something wins Razzies, I'm curious. But as a movie, I have no hopes at this point that this won't be a terrible film. To be fair, it did go up against Toy Story 3, its opening weekend. I mean, I was there at Toy Story 3 opening weekend, but yeah, this film, it never found an audience. I'll say that I did have a morbid curiosity about this, kind of like Tank Girl. Thank you again, Jacob, for getting me to watch this. Hey, I never championed this (laughs) film. I want to go on record right now. But I actually had TiVo'd this movie and watched about 10 minutes of it because it was based on a comic book and because even though I know Megan Fox can't act, she is hot and I do enjoy looking at her on screen. So I decided I'd give this movie a shot and 10 minutes in, I hit delete on the TiVo. So Wow, you didn't even turn it off. You deleted it. I didn't even want to leave the door open that I might return. And yet here we are. Arnie, give him a pot. I think that's your intro. I'll give him a Blu-ray. Anyone want one? Of course you ended up with it on (laughs) Blu-ray. Jonah Hex fought in the Civil War on the side of the Confederates, but when his superior officer, General Quentin Turnbull, orders his soldiers to burn down a hospital full of sick and injured, Jonah turns on his fellow soldiers, killing Turnbull's son Jeb, who is also Hex's best friend. For revenge, Turnbull takes Hex hostage and forces him to watch as Turnbull's soldiers kill Jonah's wife and son, and then Turnbull brands Hex's face so Hex will always remember this pain. 
Hex barely survives, but is revived by an Indian medicine man, and when revived, he has the power to bring the dead back to life with his touch, but only so long as he is touching them. He cuts the brand off his face, leaving an open hole and a massive scar, and goes hunting for Turnbull, but Turnbull dies in a hotel fire, so Hex takes out his anger as a bounty hunter and ruthless killer. This is the opening credits. <laughs> I mean, really, I gotta just compliment the editors. If you had diced up all of the footage and thrown it in the air like confetti, it wouldn't have come down on the ground in a less coherent way than this film tells this backstory. Please continue. I'll admit, I had to go to Wiki. I am getting so much more from your plot summary than I did from watching this film three times. I watched it twice, and I did eventually have to go to Wiki, because I'm like, wait, who did what a what? <laughs> I just love the hotel fire. I mean, wouldn't it be great if Malkovich's entire part was one scene with the brand and then his animation cut out in a burning hotel? That would have been awesome. Gets top billing for that. It's the most anticlimactic end ever. <laughs> no, he comes back in whatever we'll call the rest of this plot. Please continue. Yes, we still have 76 other minutes. Turnbull is not actually dead. He went underground with his soldiers to launch an attack on the U.S. government to retaliate for the South losing the war. Using plans from Eli the Cotton Gin Whitney. You didn't know he made weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Just thought Cotton Gin printing press. <laughs> Nukes. The whiskey bomb. <laughs> Using plans from Eli Whitney, Turnbull has a super cannon that can destroy an entire city, and he plans to fire it on Washington, D.C. during the centennial celebration. President Grant orders Hex to be hired to stop Turnbull, and Hex tracks the man, killing several of his henchmen. So Turnbull kidnaps Lila, a whore that Hex has a relationship with. No, I'm not making a slur against Megan Fox. She's actually a prostitute in the film. Jonah surrenders to spare Lila's life, but the two break out and attack Turnbull and his men as Turnbull prepares to fire on Washington. Hex kills Turnbull and saves the day, and President Grant offers Hex the job of Sheriff of the USA. Because <laughs> as president, he doesn't know that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, boy. But Hex declines, saying Grant can find him again if he's needed, and then no one ever looked for Hex again. <laughs> no, lose that number. So that's the plot, and yeah, I think we've kind of already talked about the opening scene, but wow is it convoluted. They don't tell you why Hex was being punished until about three quarters of the way through the film. So all you see is Hex's family being killed and him being left out there to inexplicably be able to commune with the dead. I'm going to be straight up with you guys. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because that's all my notes are. I don't understand what's going on. It's not till the 35-minute mark where we're told all this again a little more comprehensively. But yeah, I am totally lost. It goes into this awful animation for no reason. Hey, hey it's just like Tank Girl. No, this style is awful. Yeah, maybe they're just plugging holes that they weren't able to film. Like, why did they make a movie about someone whose story they did not want to tell? Problem for them, number one, he's a Confederate soldier. He fought for the South. They don't want us to make that connection. So they hide that. 
They call it out later. He just doesn't like the government telling people what to do. That's why he was for state rights. Oh, whoops. That's because of slavery? Oops. <laughs> He's a libertarian. He wasn't anti-black. He has a black friend. He's just anti-law. A black man that supplies him with guns. An armed black man and this confederate buys his weapons. This is outrageous. Outrageous. The way that they try to liberal him up here in the middle of the movie. Again, they are afraid of the character as written. They don't want you to know. He has an Indian wife. This is some bullshit is what it is at the start of this. But yes, because he's quick on the draw and because he's not willing to burn women and children, which is happening when, by the way? Because the events that are happening are in 1876, the centennial. The Civil War has been over for a decade. The timeline's all screwy here, but he decides that he's leaving the Confederate to be a kept man with his Indian bride and shoots Malkovich's son. No, no. What happened is he was in the Confederate Army and Malkovich says, burn down this Union hospital. And so Hex refuses to burn down a hospital full of innocents, even if it is a Union hospital. And it ends up with Hex shooting him. Right, right, okay. But he never retired from the Confederacy with his wife. He just ran off, I think. No, he was immediately captured, and they took him back to his house to watch his wife die. My whole point for bringing this up is they have a lot of things that are incongruous. There is no character here. This is a bunch of different ideas about who should be our lead that they finally just called Jonah Hex. There is no main character to this movie. The comic book does have this roots in slavery. He was a Confederate soldier, but early on as a child, he was sold as a slave to Native Americans. And so once he realizes what's going on with the Civil War, that it's about slavery, he's like, yeah, I'm not fighting this anymore. They never say why. He realizes you got to do what's right and it cost me a lot. It's literally that vague. But they're trying to say that, yeah, I fought for the South, but I didn't really mean it. And that's just, I think, a Hollywood mentality. They don't like this setup for their character. And they're doing everything to suppress it. I do have to wonder why in the world they would choose a Confederate soldier. Jacob, have you done any research behind the comic creators? Why they would choose a Confederate slaver for the hero of the comic? Even in the 70s, it was a different time. DC had another comic called The Haunted Tank, where it was the ghost of a Confederate general that would find his ancestors in future wars and, like, help them. Like, yes, it was the 70s and Martin Luther King and all that, but there was still that vibe. I don't think people made the connection. You know, when you're reading a comic book, you're not connecting it to the historical relevance of what happened there. You're just thinking, oh, from the South, a Confederate, he's an upstart. That makes him a rebel, is what it means. It doesn't play by the rules. I'm not going to work for your centralist government. That's kind of how they want to leave it with this character. Oh, he just didn't want to comply. So, of course, he's in the army. It's frustrating. Disney tried the same thing when they did John Carter from Mars, Confederate soldier. And for me, when I watch that, there's very uncomfortable scenes where he's slaughtering natives on Mars, knowing he's a Confederate soldier. Like the subtext there isn't good. And yeah, that is felt here too. Like if you're going to do a Confederate soldier as your hero in modern times today, you got to do it right. You got to find a way to make it work with modern audiences. And here they just muddle it. Like literally, I don't know what's going on at the beginning here. And I do, again, like Stuart said, think that that's somewhat intentional. It's the mystery of the film. But all it really does is give me that this guy can speak to the dead and he's a badass bounty hunter. And I will say, I had a lot of hope during the very 
first scene after all this backstory where he's riding into town and he's got the bounty for the four guys and they don't want to pay him. First they say there's only three, so he tosses him the head. I thought that was a nice touch. And when they still won't pay, he unleashes Gatlin guns that are mounted to his horse. And I'm like, you put Gatlin guns on a horse? That is so gonzo. That's a recommend immediately. Oh, I'm right there with you, Arnie. Like, this film is great. Right now, I hated the beginning, but this is amazing. And I know Neville Dean and Taylor from Crank, they at some point were involved with this script. I think this is the only scene that remained from their version, but I love this, what, three minutes of the film. I don't feel like I need to have Gatlin guns. And why can't we just have an old time shootout? Why can't he just be a bounty hunter? Why must they make him supernatural with these sci-fi weapons? And it's just way over the top. You guys are encouraged by the scene. I know I'm in for the shit in the scene. See, I have gone on the record ever since our Back to the Future 3 review as not being a fan of Westerns. And I think that by and large, the Westerns age has passed. But if you're going to do something like this, this steampunk kind of Western, Wild Wild West, you're going to get a little bit more out of me. I kind of like the steampunk aesthetic. I'm more invested. It's like a sci-fi Western. And so... I was kind of into this, and as for why he has powers, well, it's coming out of the comic. No, it's not coming out of the comic. That's what I've been saying. These powers are not from the comic. Maybe that it's a comic property, and they feel that's what a superhero should have. Well, actually, I watched the bonus feature on the disc, Feature not features. And it did give me a brief rundown that in the 80s or 90s, they revived this character and the writer didn't do his research and just remembered incorrectly that he could resurrect the dead. So this is based off a mismemory of the comic. (laughs) It was in the comic that I remember in my head. That's not real. Okay. The guy who was writing the comic didn't do his research, gave him this power, and now the comic version of Jonah Hex can do this. It wasn't Jonah Hex in the 70s, but in the past 20 years, that has been Jonah Hex's power. Look, we'll get into the powers, the supernatural angle. I don't know that they needed to go there, but that's not the problem here. What you're supposed to be selling in this introductory scene is that Jonah Hex is the biggest badass of all. He's got a burned up face, and he's quicker on the draw. And this fight is just shot like shit. And ends so stupidly. There's a lit lantern in the middle of the day that he just shoots and the entire town blows up. I honestly think that the script's letterhead was, and it blows up. It's Hollywood not trusting their material. They didn't want to make this movie. They didn't want to make a Western. So let's make it sci-fi and let's just blow it all up. Every scene, everyone dies and it all blows up. I feel like I see this again and again and again. It's nihilistic. It's infantile. It's terrible. Coming to a comic book property, I'm more willing to go with it. I like it when genres can get mashed up and they're successful. That's all I'm saying is for this maybe three minutes, I'm willing to go with it because I'm being entertained. You mentioned Neville Dean and Taylor, and that's kind of what I'm getting out of this, is that Gonzo over the top, crank, everything explodes. That's not a bad thing. It is. It is. Because the next scene we get, more explosions. It doesn't even make any sense. Now we have to reintroduce Turnbull. I think that there must be something on this train that's important. They have these bandits come up. There are Union soldiers on board. There are rich people on board. We have all of this leaping onto the train. We're rigged to blow bombs and all of this. Nope. They blow up everything everyone and everyone dies. This is Turnbull's plot here is he's going place to place. It's like a video game. He is stealing all the parts he needs for Eli Whitney's super cannon. Except that's not clear. Like we are eventually told that 
this film is just coasting off of what's happened in other films before. Oh, like you said, Arnie, video games. Oh, it's not fun anymore. It's a bad video game. It's an 8-bit Atari game. I literally believe that there was a different beginning to all of this. Probably several different takes. With the way that this thing is cut to crap, my guess is that they just kept churning out things. This couldn't have been the scene that they conceived to introduce us to what Turnbull is doing at the Centennial. That There's just no way. The scene that they should have started with was Hex in the bar. But by the time they get to that scene, we've already had people constantly blowing everyone away. I'm tired of it. You're not showing someone's a badass. You're telling me that everyone must die. Here's an origin story where we get an origin to the origin. Like, we get this whole muddled mess at the beginning where we're told everything about this character. There is no mystery to unravel. We've seen him pull out the sci-fi guns very early on. I think you're right, Stuart. You get the scene where someone goes, what happened to your face? And he shoots him and says, I cut myself shaving. That's your opening scene. That's your introduction to the character. Why should we like him? I mean, that is my question 20 minutes into this is what reason have you given me to like Jonah Hex? You've given me a lot of reasons why he's a badass, why he's a mean dude. Why should I care? I can't think of one thing this movie does to tell me why I should like the guy. I think that for a lot of movies, being a badass is enough. This guy is a bounty hunter who has all the coolest weapons. And also, we're supposed to have some sympathy for him. He lost his whole family. I don't feel like this has established any of that. This is your lead character. Clint Eastwood played this time and time again. The man with no name. The guy with the chip on his shoulder. The badass dude. There's still ways to give looks. To show that you're not a brute. I mean, to blow up an entire town. I don't like the guy. Having gone through, again, the special feature on the disc, I can tell you what the filmmakers were intending, but I didn't get it from watching the film. And it reminds me a lot of the Daredevil movie. Oy. Yeah, I know, that's not necessarily a good thing for you either. No! But what they want is where Jonah Hex starts off as a bad guy, and this is a redemption film. He starts off killing everybody, but by the end of the film, that's not who he is. Yeah, they didn't make that film, but I could understand if that was the setup, they have set that up repeatedly, ad nauseum. Well, if you're not with Hex at this point, maybe you're rooting for him to kill John Malkovich because, of course, he isn't dead. This can't have been the way that they wanted to reintroduce the character. They must have wanted to show why he staged his death. There must have been somewhere on some cut of this movie something that brilliantly reintroduced in a surprising way the fact that John Malkovich is very much alive. Because we know that. As a given, we know Jonah Hex has got to get revenge for that. It's the whole basis for this movie. To find him here robbing a train for mysterious reasons. I have no idea what is accomplished. Michael Fassbender's got a plunger and he just blows up the whole train. Was it already rigged with dynamite? They rigged the track. If you look at the effect, it was actually the train that exploded. Okay, so it was bad special effects work. All right. Speaking about Malkovich in this film, Turnbull might be alive, but Malkovich, man, his acting here is stone dead. Like, I like Malkovich. He'll get me to go see a movie. I thought he'd be the one redemptive part of this movie is him hamming it up as the villain. Like, Con Air, awful film, love Cyrus the Virus. I will watch that film for Malkovich's villainous role there. Here, it's bad. Like, he doesn't even want to be in this film. 
Jacob, I am right there with you. I love Malkovich. I love Malkovich as a bad guy most of all. I was hoping for a Con Air level of hammy performance here, but the only one on screen who makes any sense to me is Megan Fox, and Fassbender hadn't really broken yet. But how they got this cast and what they do with them is really crazy. I've never seen this caliber of actors stuck in a movie so amateurish. They usually don't star Oscar-nominated and winning actors. They usually don't have really talented, top-of-their-craft people in them. Usually those people can at least suck up enough energy to give some lightness to the affair. But this is a dark, dark hole that everyone has fallen into. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know you're in trouble when Megan Fox is your best performance in the film. She is not. She is not. I buy her more than I buy anyone else in this piece of crap. She knows how to play a whore. Good call out. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem when she's outshining Josh Brolin. And who wanted to see them get together? I mean, am I supposed to be turned on when this scarred up man is in bed with this whore and they're talking about their future together? I can't imagine the ladies are fanning themselves in this moment. I don't get their relationship at all. I don't like Megan Fox in this movie. Her career had already peaked and was on the decline by the time this came out. I'm sure this gave her a push to decline even faster. But I don't understand the relationship. I don't understand why anyone would want to be with her except for the money sex transaction because she's such a dour individual in this film. <laughs> I think that she's a good get for Hex. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think <laughs> for Hex, this is a catch. I can see why he might want to bang her every now and then. But apparently she's doing this whoring to bide the time while she waits for Hex to take her away to I don't know what. They could have pulled her out of this film and it wouldn't make much difference. If the whole thing about this guy is he's avenging his dead wife and dead child, softening the blow by giving him a hot whore doesn't really help his plight. I want to be clear. By saying that Megan Fox is the bright spot in the film, I am not in any way saying that she is good or that I like it or that the scenes that she is in have a better quality than any other scene. It's a testament to how bad things have gotten, the fact that she's not irritating me. She is just non-offensive. In a movie filled with screamingly awful things, I don't hear her voice wailing in my ear. She disappears for an hour, and when she comes back, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot she was in it. Maybe you're right. Maybe she's best taken in 20-second intervals every hour. I just prefer her as the cover of Maxim when she doesn't speak at all. But eventually, they decide they're going to tell a plot here. President Grant has decided he must take on Turnbull, and so he's hired Will Arnett to go find him and bring him into the army. If the guy fought for the Confederacy 10 years ago and is now a scarred up bounty hunter, why do they think that he is an asset to them now? I'm just wondering why they decided to give Will Arnett a serious role. Yeah, you bring him in and I'm really confused wondering when this movie is going to get funny. And it never does. And they eventually kill Will Arnett. They kill everyone. I mean, why should he be spared? Because I like him in other stuff. I couldn't believe that he was there not as a comic relief sidekick. It was a very strange casting choice. 
The one function that he does is take Hex out of the whorehouse and bring him to the dead body. And we finally understand what Jonah Hex can do with his magical Native American crow powers. He can touch a corpse and bring it back to life until it burns up. So this is the way that they find out where Turnbull is going. I am so confused because he talks to this one dead guy. Hex ends up at a brawl. This never comes back. Like, there's this fight going on. There's no payoff for it. Like, we don't find that there's a tribe of snakemen that Hex is going to have to fight later. I don't understand what's going on. Like, chain guns on a horse. I understand the mechanics there. But now we just have mutants straight up in this film. At this point, I have to say, I'm putting all the blame on Jimmy Hayward. I think that under the right hands, under Neveline and Taylor's hands, you might have been able to spin something cool and hip. But in the hands of the director of Horton, here's a who. This just becomes convoluted and crazy. And yeah, now there's snake mutants for no apparent reason. And it just careens from scene to scene. First of all, I feel like this is a scene they probably wrote. And two, I don't feel like they bring anything to the party other than attitude. It just doesn't have a story. There is no tether to reality. Poor Jimmy Hayward, the man that you're accusing for doing this, was a man that had never worked with flesh and blood actors before. He was an animator. He worked on Pixar films. What would he know about directing a Western with Josh Brolin and John Malkovich? I can't imagine that he got much say on this set whatsoever. I don't blame him for a thing here other than he didn't burn the negative. Speaking of burning, Hex befriends a dog for some reason. This mystical dog that he befriends, this is the saddest moment in the entire film. He gets on a horse and says, okay, dog. And dog's like, okay. He goes to Gettysburg. He had that dog running for months. (laughs) I don't even understand why he has the dog. I thought the crow was a spirit animal. He only needs a cat, in my opinion. Maybe Hallie should have guessed it. That would have been better than Megan Fox. But this is dreadful. I mean, at this point, I am just openly mocking the line of bullshit that it's spinning. Their pants are down. They know that they're busted. We have this scene in the graveyard where he learns where Turnball really is because all that running around South Carolina in the flaming tent did not turn up Malkovich. We finally need to get back to Malkovich. And I finally understand the beginning of the film. This is the scene that pays off the mystery. It's paying off why Jonah Hex got burned to begin with. I don't think it reveals the mystery. I think it makes it explicit because I was confused at the beginning. I heard something about a hospital and a dead son. Here, it expounds on that. I don't think it reveals any mystery. It just makes me understand what I saw 40 minutes ago. The brand was QT, Quentin Turnbull, or Quentin Tarantino is which I think they're aspiring for. <laughs> Roland actually heats up a knife and takes off the whole side of his face because he won't live with QT branded on his face. That's the only thing really learned here. Otherwise, they're just repeating themselves. I disagree. I don't feel like this moment was helpful at all. It reinforces what we may not have heard in that flurry of a beginning, but it doesn't introduce any idea that wasn't there. It does. It introduces what betrayal Jonah did, because this whole time, I'm thinking Jonah did something really bad. No, the thing he did was treason because he wouldn't burn down a hospital. Which they said at the beginning of the film, again, not revealing a mystery, just clarifying. Hex could have been this redemption story they're trying for, but they needed to establish a reason that wasn't phony baloney for him to be good. And this is phony baloney. It's 
too black and white. Because if he's going to be such a badass and such a bounty hunter who kills so indiscriminately and blows up these entire towns, you gotta think somebody's sick in these towns somewhere. If Turnbull's still trying to fight the war, I get it, but he's talking like, I want to take down all of America. If I wasn't on board with the film thus far, and I wasn't, when I realize that they're trying to paint Turnbull out to be Bin Laden, and the entire thing Jonah Hex is trying to stop is a 9-11 allegory, <laughs> oh my god, do I wonder where the fuck this movie went wrong. <laughs> What upsets me, so we get this whole weapon, we finally find out about the nation killer. Okay, sounds cool. It was invented by Eli Whitney of Cotton Gin fame. Oh, okay, it's goofy, but I could go with it. My problem, and this may sound weird, but my problem is that there is no science. It's a series of glowing balls that make other balls blow up. That is just lazy. Like, if you're going for the whole steampunk aesthetic, well, at least, you know, you're cranking gears, which are making machine guns turn. But here, it's a magic glowing ball that blows up. The charm of steampunk is that they keep part of that technology rooted in the past, that you could fly to the moon in a hot air balloon. And here, you're right. We never see the weapon. As far as I can tell, I never saw it even assembled in force, see what it can do. I saw some orange balls, and I saw something on the ship that shot lasers. It looked like a giant ship's cannon. It's boring. For something that's supposed to be the ultimate weapon, and something that the U.S. has had knowledge of for quite some time, for 50 years, they've known and had this capability and didn't develop it. But this guy found out. I don't even know how Turnbull would have found out about this. Eli Whitney died before he would have even been born. But somehow he found wind of this and assembled it, and we have this lame device fail. I mean, this movie has completely failed. I'm wondering, and I'm going to pose right now, is this the dregs? Have we hit the bottom? Is this the worst comic book movie ever? It's racing to the bottom. At this point, I'm looking at Catwoman, Batman and Robin, definitely Ghost Rider. I'm looking at these low bars before, and this is doing the limbo underneath them. You're completely right in that regard. It is deplorable, but man thing. Yes. Hat tits. <laughs> I'm going to hold back and wait for my recommend. That is the one bump that I cannot quite get over. Is <laughs> is this worse than Man-Thing? Catch me at the end. You look at some of those other bad ones. At least there is an internal logic to those films that make them work, even if it's in the mind of a three-year-old. This, there is no logic. We were going to move from point A to B to C to move this film through, even if it doesn't make sense. Like, it literally just became flashing images because it made no sense. Like, things were happening. I don't know why they're happening. And so it just became like a science experiment. I'm just watching shadows on the wall at this point. I can instantly rule this out as the worst comic book adaptation ever. For no other reason than it seems to me to be on par with those other movies you mentioned. It feels very much like a Ghost Rider or a Catwoman. But where it bests all of them is this entire movie runs about 70 minutes. <laughs> it's barely over an hour. And I think that is a compliment when you have something this bad. I'm taken back to that Woody Allen joke about like two ladies eating in a restaurant. And one says, the food here is so awful. And the other one says, and the portions are so small. It's true. It's like, I don't want any more of this. 80 minutes is like some law somewhere to be called a movie. So they let the credits run for 10 full 
minutes. That's right. The movie is closer to an hour and 12 minutes, but they got those extra credits to boost them by 10 there. There's only 20 more minutes. I guess we're already at the climax. We have Jonah Hex get hurt at this Fort Resurrection that Fassbender puts a bullet in him and he almost dies again. And the dog comes and then runs away when the Indians show up. His origin story is being healed by Indians and then we see it again. Like, that's bad storytelling. Like, if they have to do the exact same thing to give you your powers back. I can't tell anymore if it's bad storytelling or if it's a reprise. It might have just been the original footage that they stuck in this part of the film. Yes, that's what I suspect, is that this is actually the same scene, and they're hoping you don't notice. I mean, this thing is so cobbled together. There's actually five minutes of cutscenes on the disc. I don't know why they cut them. They could have used the running time. (laughs) Maybe they were afraid of a riot. I'm not standing for any more of this. You gotta think test screenings had worse things to say than the pacing's a little slow in these parts. It's definitely not slow pacing. It's slow going. But it's not because this thing is cut slow. It's because they created a movie with no plot. It is literally just explosions and ugly, ugly people. But we get something close to the climax. I can't believe we're already here. Like, I'm checking the watch at 50 minutes. I'm like, this feels like a wrap-up. But they have this senator that's played by Wes Bentley, who has fed them information, and John Malkovich kills him. They capture the whore, and now Jonah Hex has to be turning traitor, or at least turning in and allowing himself to be caught by the bad guys. I never understood how they tracked down Megan Fox, like how they knew they were hooked up. It was so strange how these scenes just pop up out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, Fassbender is kidnapping her. Hex knows that Turnball is in this fort. He goes there by himself. Like, he's on a mission for the U.S. Army, right? For the U.S. government. He has the army at his disposal, but it's not until everything goes to shit that he telegraphs President Grant. He says he doesn't know where Turnball is, but that he has the nation killer. Which, okay, so you just told the army, we don't know where the bad guy is, thanks a lot for the help, and hey, by the way, they have a really bad weapon. Well, we saw Grant already know that. Like, we saw him talking about, like, the 300 people that died in Georgia. It is the most nonsensical scene. Like, I guess they set up a scene where there's some telegraph wire earlier on, and they wanted to pay that off by showing him doing a telegraph. It's craziness. The best performance of the whole movie is in that scene. The telegraph operator has a look of disbelief and shock on his face that mirrors my own. Yes, because it serves nothing. Like, what he tells the government, totally useless. At least he's telling me something. I'm like, I didn't realize you still didn't know where your target is. Credits are about to roll, all ten minutes of them. You still don't know where you're going? A fool wouldn't know that if they're having a big centennial celebration, that that might not be a place Turnbull would strike if he has a weapon of mass destruction. You know what the weapon is. You've had it in your armory. You suppressed it. But now that he has it, you don't think that he might be attacking DC? But they mentioned that there's a centennial party in New York, and there's a centennial party in Washington, and there's a centennial party in Des Moines. And so they just don't know which one he's going after. They send the military to help Hex. They send one boat. It is dumb, but no more so than Turnball, who has been heckling Hex this whole movie about how much of a coward he is, running away from every fight that's presented to him. You're right, I'm waiting for Malkovich to step up and be evil, but really, if there's a badass in this movie, 
I think it's Fassbender. I think he might win. He's not particularly great or memorable in this movie, but he does have the Maori tattoos and the bowler hat, and he does seem to be the only one that gets a wound in on Hex. I think maybe Fassbender should have been the bad guy here. Malkovich is just lame in this climax. I think today, Fassbender could be the villain, but despite being a relative unknown back at this point, he appears to realize what movie he's in, and he's fun in it. I am very disappointed by the climax here where they have to give Lila something to do. So when they're handcuffed, she picks the lock and then she's fighting with Jonah at the end. Wait, what does she do, Artie? She saves the day. She's going for an axe to save herself, which she just ends up knocking down a shaft, which jams up the longest conveyor belt ever, which is really convenient as this nation killer is like loading up the next weapon. It's like a mile long conveyor belt. Like she accidentally saves the day. Like Hex doesn't even get that credit. And the Hex Turnbull fight I was really excited that we finally got to it. Even though it was only 60 minutes in coming, it felt like a long road. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, we're finally going to see. Oh, that's really pathetic. These two old guys can't do stunts. It's some astral plane, right? Like, they've talked about this coffin that's allegedly meant for Jonah Hex that he's avoided getting into at this point. They're, like, fighting in some mystical realm and... There's a mystical realm? I miss the mystical realm. You don't remember this? They're in a forest. I thought that was a vision that he had had. I didn't think they were actually fighting. Earlier, Jonah had a dream that he was fighting Turnbull and won, but then Turnbull rolled over and shot him. And so when they're fighting in real life, I thought Jonah was conquering his own fear. Oh! He wasn't actually teleporting to an astral plane. It's difficult to know in this movie. The outcome of that fight's never in doubt. I have to say, the closest I came to laugh out loud funny, though, is when the president says, Will you be sheriff of America? That is insane! Just insane! I kept expecting him to say, They have a marshal. And he'd be like the world's first U.S. Marshal. But no, they don't even do that. It's like a star badge the size of a dinner plate because it's sheriff for the entire country. Like, this is now, like, third grader territory. And what did he do this for if not for some kind of reward? I mean, never forget, this was a guy that supposedly didn't want to fight for anyone. Well, what's he going to do now? He's just going to go off with his dog and his whore and wait for a sequel that's never going to come? He stopped the terrorists. It is a 4th of July movie. So, Jacob, Stewart, (laughs) I'm in suspense. (laughs) Do you recommend Jonah Hex? Jacob. Having rewatched this for this podcast, I had no memory of it watching it before. Like, I knew some of the things that were going to come, but I realized why I didn't have a memory of it. Because I literally just stopped thinking, but I realized as I was watching it that this was really an avant-garde experiment. If you're familiar with William S. Burroughs' like cut-up method, where you cut up all the words and mix them around and then try to read it and you see these new connections, it's really mind-expanding. Like, that's what I'm seeing on this film. They've cut up the story and just randomly tossed it together. And my mind opened. And No, no, it's shit. I didn't have any <laughs> mind-altering experience here. This movie is bad. Hex says, when you go out for vengeance to dig two graves, one for your enemy, one for yourself, well, nope, I've gone out for vengeance on this, and I have only had to dig one grave for this movie. Strong, strong, not recommend. Stuart. Here's the case I'm going to make for why this could be the very worst. We've been in dark days before. I cannot forget where I came from. I remember every painful step. 
But you know what? On that journey, I laughed. I mocked. I found something that amused me in its ridiculousness. Watching this movie, there's not one moment where I point at the screen and go, ha, 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 ha. It's only in retrospect, when I look at the tatters on the ground, that I can find the humor in how bad this is. There's no fun to watching this movie. You can't enjoy it as a good movie. You certainly can't enjoy it as so bad it's good. It's like they spliced Catwoman with Ghost Rider. It was like, we couldn't have two separate bad experiences. We must combine them for the very worst. I am going to say this is the second worst comic book movie I've ever seen. And I'm becoming a bit of an expert on this. I know what I'm talking about. It is not worse than Man Thing. It is just as incomprehensibly made and told and probably only is marginally better because it's short. But this is abysmal. You're off the hook, Ghost Rider. This is an unpleasant experience. So bad it's bad. Yes. So bad I got hives on my face like Jonah Hex. I didn't think the movie was as terrible as Stuart is making it out to be. I think that because there were no laughs in it, it didn't have anything for you to hold on to. But for me, it's the movies that are even worse than this one that get funny. When this one toyed with being that bad, when it was Sheriff of the USA and Eli Whitney, do you know him? Those moments were the moments where it truly started to become worse than your average crap and into super shit. But by and large, this is right there for me with Catwoman. It is a little bit below Ghost Rider because it just doesn't have the cool, fun visuals of that. This is a very ugly movie. I again blame Horton Hare's the director. It's obviously a strong not recommend. What's funny to me is that I actually sat through all 10 minutes of the credits on single speed just to experience the full film and it ends after 10 minutes of music. It has a lot of songs in there. When they ran out of all of their score and all of their music, they go to the traditional song Old Virginia and the line, I don't want any pardon for anything I've done. But I am not going to pardon him. I'm going to go strong, strong, not recommend. I would say this is on par for me with Tank Girl. And the reason being, this movie is far less fun to watch. This movie is far less interesting, but this film is far more competent. So by the time you put them on the scales of justice, I think they're about even. No, that's terrible. Tank Girl, for its problems, never, ever was this much of a slog. I mean, this is just an ugly experience. I can't imagine who would find this entertaining. I can imagine people sitting through it and not feeling anything and saying it was okay because it didn't create any kind of emotion for them. But no, this is the worst. Come on. It's certainly a terrible way to get revved up about Superman, I gotta say. <laughs> None of these three have really built up to what I would call DC's classic number one hero. I mean, none of these characters have anything of what Batman and Superman have. I mean, this has not wet my appetite for more DC movies. I think that they've got a long way to go, particularly in comparison with Marvel getting their shit together and having a stable of heroes that they can actually make money off of. 
And the funniest thing is, these are Warner Brothers pictures. Warner Brothers owns DC. All of the Marvel movies we've ripped apart have been other studios doing Marvel. Here, being all in-house, you would think nobody would have a better understanding of what makes their characters popular than the folks there, but... Obviously, someone's not talking to somebody else and getting it across because from seeing this movie, not only do I think Jonah Hex is unsalvageable as a movie franchise, unlike Tank Girl, if they made another Jonah Hex movie, I would have zero interest in seeing it. I never want to touch a Jonah Hex comic either. If I was a little bit interested in the character before this movie, it robbed me of that. It has put a hex on Jonah. I think that originally the talk was that they were going to put this on TV. If there is to be any more of this, that's where I'd like it to go. If for no other reason than it means that I don't have to go and watch the sequel. Unless it's released in Hungary. Oh, it will be! <laughs> well, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me for the DC Heroes retrospective. Remember, listeners, you can head to our archives and hear the other DC heroes, Tank Girl and Constantine. If these are our heroes, I want to drown. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) You can also go to our archives and hear other DC heroes like Green Lantern. Where does this rank with Green Lantern? Um, oh, where does this rank with Green Lantern? I mean, I'm not going to say Green Lantern was good, but it's certainly a lot better than this. I mean, everything is better than this. (laughs) Except Man-Thing. Except Man-Thing, yeah. Generation X? Mm, Yep. (laughs) You can get mind-raped by Generation X. All the Batman films, including the animated Batman Mask of the Phantasm. So many more reviews in our archives section at nowplayingpodcast.com. And also, if you enjoyed the show, well, to use a line from Jonah Hex, you want to see us tomorrow, you pay fair like everyone else. There's a donate button on our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. Your support keeps us on the air, pays for our bandwidth, pays for our servers, pays for our alcohol after seeing these movies. And in a few weeks, it'll pay for the living dead. We're getting back to zombies, and we will be making a big announcement about our spring donation series very soon. Stay tuned for that. Once you guys get started on Yo Joe, G.I. Joe, our next series. If you want our previous donation series, we do still have some of those DVD-ROM sets left over our fifth anniversary. Once they're gone, they are gone, but we do still have them with all of our previous donation podcasts, Alien, Child's Play, Jaws, Close Encounters, E.T. and War of the Worlds. A lot of good shows, yeah. Stuff I'm really proud of. Yeah, you can head to our forums and see some of the people who got the discs at the end of last year are really enjoying going back and hearing those podcasts. It's the only way you can hear them, and once these sets are gone, they're gone. Plus, the new Star Trek is coming out in just a few months. You can hear our entire, uncut, much longer conversation about Star Trek 2009, J.J. Star Wars Abrams' first sci-fi film. You can find out all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So yes, we will be back next week as Jacob, Jerry, and I start a real American podcast, G.I. Joe. So until next time, I'll see you cats at the big jam in the sky. Constantine, you will live. No! Through you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been swell, but swelling's gone down. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another DC Heroes movie. Suit yourself. Can't say I blame you. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. Well, I thought that with your background, you could at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, okay, sure. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You can also read written movie reviews by the Now Playing hosts at the Venganza Media Gazette. The link can be found at the Now Playing homepage. You know, I'm really starting to like it here. People are nice, food's great, and I love my job. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. I came as fast as I could. I know you probably didn't need help, but I got here as fast as I could. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Abandon all hope, ye who enter The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Grab your child and tree into thy kingdom! Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You want to see me tomorrow? You pay fair like everyone else. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Transactions all it was. I'll collect my $100 bounty on them and be on my way. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. Find me something he loves and bring it to me. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be desirable. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Congratulations. Now Playing's DC Heroes Retrospective Series is edited by Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. Hey, which of you gorgeous guys would like an oil change? Hmm? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You're a walking, talking, living microphone. Now Playing is not affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Pictures, or United Artists. Tank Girl is the property of DC Comics and United Artists, and Constantine and Jonah Hex are the properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. As long as they don't find out, who gives a shit? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, that's a bore. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Say it. Say it. Just say it. I won. I won. Nay! Nay! Say I won! I won! America needs a sheriff. I don't think countries have sheriffs.
But I'm sorry, what's the movie you're referring to? True Grit. Oh, right. Okay. Was he in that? Wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, that's right. He, he was the guy at the end. I, I totally yeah. forgot that. Yes. America needs a sheriff. I don't think countries have sheriffs. Anti-heroes are tough because if you give them too poisonous of a backstory. <laughs> okay. America needs a sheriff. I don't think countries have sheriffs. So until next time, I'll see you cats at the big jam in the sky. Oh, you're keeping it. <laughs> I was like, what could he possibly quote from Jonah Hex? Just mumble something. America needs a sheriff. I don't think countries have sheriffs.